Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Do one more round of applause for just our worship this morning. We are still in our sermon series, Galatians. Freedom from sin is found in Jesus. The Apostle Paul does an excellent job in the entire book of Galatians of defending God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning wanting to praise you for everything that we have seen you do. Sometimes it's easy to ask for you to relieve certain situations, but at this moment, Lord, as a church, I want to be thankful. I want to praise everything that you have been doing despite what it is that we see going on. There is good still to come, no matter how chaotic this world becomes. We know that you have everything under control. It is in the name of Jesus that we can praise you in this way. Amen. As a U.S. citizen, you have rights. As U.S. citizens, we have rights. In fact, this document that you're looking at right now is under attack. Let's face it. These rights are defined for us as Americans within the Bill of Rights, and the Bill of Rights can be found within the first 10 amendments to the United States Constitution. So once we become U.S. citizens, either by birth or through immigration, we have now all inherited these rights as defined in the Bill of Rights. So what's the purpose? That's the question. What is the purpose for the Bill of Rights that we find within the United States Constitution? It's really simple. See, the Bill of Rights exists to guarantee civil liberties and rights to the individuals. Examples of these rights and liberties would be freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, etc., etc. Now you might understand why it is I said what I said about these rights or this Constitution being under attack currently with what we see, but basically it takes the power away from the federal government and gives it back to the people and the states. That's what the Bill of Rights does. It limits government from interfering in our lives, and it allows the states to rule themselves. Church, as Christians, as believers, as those who have faith in the name of Jesus Christ, we have rights too. But it's either or. It's either you're a child of the God of this world, 
or you are a child of God, the Creator. And those of you who are children of the God of this world, you live under the illusion that you have rights. However, you are without any. Those who are children of the God of this world do not have rights. But the children of the God that is the Creator, the children of God, the Creator, on the other hand, do have rights, just like the Bill of Rights takes the power away from the federal government. Faith in Jesus takes the power from the God of this world over your life. See, before salvation, you were without rights. But after salvation, you've been gifted the most exquisite rights of all. And the children of the God of this world adhere to the illusion that they actually have rights. But these rights that they think that they have are constantly under manipulation. For a moment, just for one moment, please. Just think about all the immoral behavior that we see going on before our eyes that are now trying to be reserved as rights under the Constitution. However, the rights gifted to the children of God, the Creator, cannot be manipulated because they are consistent, because they are unwavering in the face of all opposition. So today, this morning, church, let's be encouraged by our rights as children of God who is the creator of the universe. And we will do just that in our sermon titled Salvation Before and After. Salvation Before and After. Today we're going to be in chapter 4 of Galatians. We are kicking things off with verse 1 and ending in verse 7. Last week, Pastor Jared, in his sermon titled, The Freed Children of God, reminded us that we were slaves. Slaves to our sinfulness before we came to know Jesus. Fortunately, though, Jesus, through Him, God has adopted us as his children, we were encouraged in that last week. Children now, because of our faith in Jesus, who are no longer slaves. Today we're going to be encouraged in our salvation. But in order to do so, we need to be reminded of who we were before our salvation. And who we are after coming to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So please follow along as I read from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, we want to put them into this one simple sentence that will become our main idea for all seven. And that sentence is this. Jesus has redeemed our worldly immaturity for gospel maturity. Now think about that as we have now gone through the book, What is the Gospel in our 289 class. Jesus has redeemed our worldly immaturity for gospel maturity. Those of you who are children of the God of this world believe this is how salvation is achieved. Seriously. When you see what you see before you, this image on the screen, this is how you think salvation is achieved. They believe that salvation is achieved by simply jumping through hoops. The misconception, they confuse God the Creator with God of this world. They live out worldly immaturity, and that's exactly what we see happening. It's the immaturity that says God sets out the hoops for us to jump through. And if I'm successful in jumping through each hoop, I'll earn God's favor and therefore the prize of eternal salvation. Church. Those who have gospel maturity know that this couldn't be further from the truth. And we get a glimpse of how far from the truth that is from our first three verses this morning. And as we look at these verses, I want to ask you the question. So who, who out here this morning is still waiting for that rich uncle to bless you with that windfall, that inheritance. I didn't think so. There is no rich uncle, is there? I saw a few hands go up, but Greg, I know all your uncles have now passed. However, let's say you do have a rich uncle. Let's just speak hypothetically for a second. That you're awaiting an inheritance from. So, as we look at the text this morning, you would be the heir who is a child. That is no different than a slave. And as it says, even though you are the owner of everything. So if you're only an heir, as it says, then you remain under guardians and managers until the date set by your father. Now, take a look at the word child from verse 1. This is the same as saying, as long as he is immature. That's basically what Paul is saying here. Now, the same is true for verse 3, the same idea, the same concept. But what does it say? In the same way, we also, when we were immature, to the elementary principles of the world. What this is 
really saying or what we should say this could be saying is this. You are immature to the law. Or it could be saying you're immature according to the Ten Commandments. We'll keep it simple. So how does one with worldly immaturity behave? Somebody who's immature according to the world, or maybe the world would think this is maturity, but according to the gospel, let's say, how would that person behave? Somebody who is gospel immature. They would say, jump through right here. Worldly gospel immaturity looks at the Ten Commandments like this, it would say, you shall not have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. And then would say, I can jump through each one of these hoops. I can perfectly adhere to that list. That's what somebody who is immature would say. Worldly or gospel immaturity believes that by doing so, eternal salvation will be achieved. It will be accomplished because God will therefore be satisfied in you and your work. Church, this was not the purpose of the law. This was not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. See, the purpose of the law is quite the opposite. Take the Ten Commandments, for example. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to reveal to you your sinfulness. Because, after all, let's face it, not one of us, not one of us, is capable of perfectly jumping through each one of those hoops. However, before our salvation, before we came to a saving faith in Jesus, this is precisely what we thought Christianity was all about. We ignorantly and immaturely believed that we could earn God's favor on our own. By doing what? By jumping through the hoops that we thought were placed out before us. See, the real problem with this gospel immaturity is that those who are immature believe that they are a Messiah unto themselves. Gospel immaturity adopts and plays the role of Jesus. Gospel immaturity operates outside the realm of grace and faith and is limited to faith only. Yeah, that's right, faith only, but faith in oneself, not faith in Jesus. So remember that the next time you hear someone say that either I am or I know somebody who is either a self-made this or that. See, grace is a gift. Therefore, God gifted us our faith. Faith in the only one who could jump through each hoop perfectly. His name was, his name is, 
and is yet to come bearing the name above every name. And that is the beautiful, gorgeous name of Jesus. The immaturity before our salvation can be summed up as such. And it's going to be summed up into our first point this morning. Our immaturity before our salvation, we immaturely confused Jesus as Messiah with ourselves. Before our salvation, we immaturely confused Jesus as Messiah with ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that we ran around telling everybody that I can save the world. I think we're all smart enough to know that that is an impossibility. I mean, I, I, I get it. I know our politicians try to make us believe that they're capable of saving the world, but we know that's not true either now, don't we? No. See, that's not what we were doing. That's not why I'm saying we, are, we were in a, a Messiah unto ourselves. No. See, why I'm saying that is because we thought we could save ourselves. We thought we could do just enough to keep God happy. We could jump through all of these hoops, but all of these hoops that we were thinking that we needed to jump through were only placed before us to make us realize that we were incapable of doing just that. Therefore, we need to have faith in the only true Messiah, Jesus Christ, who could. Let's not forget our main idea this morning either that states Jesus has redeemed our worldly immaturity for gospel maturity. Jesus has redeemed our worldly immaturity for gospel maturity. At the time that you see this photo here, the time that it was taken, each one of these young boys were orphans. They're in an orphanage waiting to be adopted, awaiting loving parents to take them home, to call them their own. See, the gift of adoption has many benefits for those being adopted. Some of you have been involved in an adoption one way, shape, or form, and you understand what I'm about ready to say, but the benefits of adoption bring stability to the child's life. The benefit of adoption brings hope to a child's life. It brings love affection, attention. It brings health. Overall physical health is restored and renewed when a child is adopted. But one statistic that's very simplistic that speaks volumes into adoption is this. It's been said that 90% of all of those children who have ever been adopted look upon their adoption in a favorable light. Church, I don't know if you knew this or not, but at one time, and we should know this because we have been talking about it the last two Sundays, so maybe we need to just remember, at one time, we needed to be adopted too. Why? Well, because we were unstable. We had no future hope. We had no love, no attention, no affection for others or from others in a genuine manner. We were spiritually unhealthy, all of which is part of being worldly immature or gospel immature. 
This is why we're thankful for the benefits of God's grace, this gift of faith, the benefits of that gift, the faith in Jesus that has adopted us as children of God, the Creator, so that we may now be stable in Him, have an eternal future by His side, experience His perfect love, His perfect attention, His perfect affection, and the spiritual health to share, which is the most important thing after we are adopted children of God, the spiritual health to share our adoption with others. And just like the U.S. citizens, all of those who are now citizens of the United States, whether through birth or immigration, just like we all have constitutional rights according to the Bill of Rights, everything that we just listed, all the benefits of adoption, especially the benefits of being adopted as children of God, those are now our rights that we have in Jesus as adopted children of God. Let's take a closer look at our adoption in verses 4 through 7. And as we observe verse 4, four things had to take place prior to our adoption. Quite simply, in verse 4, Paul's telling us four things had to take place before you could even be adopted. The first is when he says, but when the fullness of time had come. See, this signifies God's perfect timing for the gospel to spread. See, the timing actually couldn't have been better for Jesus to come when he did come. Politically speaking, culturally speaking, economically speaking, this is during the time of Rome. The Romans had established relative peace, and they had done this or accomplished this through law and order. At that same time, the Romans made travel that much more convenient due to the engineering of the roads that they had placed out. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you get where I'm going? It was a prime time for the gospel to spread. Also, I didn't mention, and I believe I should because it's rather important, there was a common language at that time. A common language that everybody at least knew in order to buy, sell, and trade. So the communication was clear. Not only was the travel capable of happening, but the communication would have been clear of this message. And this made the gospel clear, and it made the gospel precise. Now, the second thing that we see from verse 4 is this. God sent forth His Son. He who was, is, and yet to come, a.k.a. the name above every name. Now, see, this is also a revelation of the preexistence of Jesus. After all, it says God sent forth His Son, meaning He had to already be in order to be sent forth in the first place. The third thing we can observe from verse 4 is this. Like us, he was, as it says, born of a woman. His humanity was one of his many 
qualifications necessary for him to be the perfect sacrifice that he was, as his flesh is what made his being tempted so significant. Because what we're saying in that is this, that Jesus was without sin, but because of his humanity, because of his flesh, he had the capacity to sin. Jesus was tempted to sin, but he never did. If only we could say the same. Fourth, our our last indicator of what needed to happen before we could be adopted as children of God the Creator, we need to understand that Jesus was born under the law. Which is the same as, as it says here in the text, elementary principles. That's what Paul's getting to. Jesus was born underneath this law. These hoops set out before us that we could never jump through. Basically, we could say it like this. The return of Jesus to earth through the womb of a woman was impeccably timed for him to defy temptation. I want to read that one more time. The return of Jesus to earth through the womb of a woman was impeccably timed for him to defy temptation. Now, according to verse 5, there are two reasons as to why Jesus was sent forth as it says. The first reason he was sent forth was for him to redeem. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He perfectly jumped through the hoops. Now, as for the second reason as to why he was sent forth, it states, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, in order to be adopted, one must first belong to someone else. But I know some of you are saying, wait, wait, what are you talking about? I've never belonged to anybody else. No. God adopted you because you belong to somebody else. And we're not talking about your parents' church. We all once belonged to someone other than God. Once we were all children of, unfortunately, the God of this world. Our adversary was who we belong to. Now we understand this to be before our salvation. The reason why today's sermon is titled Salvation Before and After. All this took place before. It was a time when we adhered to worldly immaturity or we adhered to gospel immaturity. However, now we're talking about adoption, which has everything to do with after our salvation. Therefore, we now adhere to gospel maturity because we understand our rights as adopted children of God. So as Mike joins me, I believe it's important for us to ask a question. Where exactly then I mean, exactly, precisely, where exactly does this maturity come from? Now, I I get it. I understand you can do the simple Sunday school answer that's always going to be correct, God or Jesus. I get that. 
But where does this maturity come from? We need to look no further than verse 6 and understand that it comes from the Holy Spirit. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, which we're now crying, Abba, Father. Which is really the same as crying, Daddy, Daddy. And we're crying, Daddy, Daddy, because we've been freed from the slavery of having to think that we need to jump through each, every hoop set before us in order to earn our eternal salvation. But we've been adopted away, fortunately, from our dead beat dad. That's what God has done. We now have rights. Rights that say we have a future hope. Rights that say we now know true, authentic love, attention, and affection that we can give to others and receive from them as well. And because God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, our spiritual health is improving. Our spiritual health hasn't been perfected because His Spirit lives within us, but our spiritual health is now improving towards perfection. And all of this, this spiritual health improving, is why we can cry, Abba, Father. Which is why we are all crying, Daddy, Daddy. I'd recommend that you make a note right now for those of you who are note takers. Make a note of this. Make a note of the significance of crying, Abba, Father. Which we're crying because as it says, you are no longer a slave. Because you are a son, because you are an heir through God, because your relationship with him is now intimate, because we're dependent upon him and no longer dependent upon ourselves, no longer do we stand before God thinking that we have to be our own Messiah. Our relationship with him is our first relationship ever our relationship with God through Jesus is the first relationship and only relationship that you will ever experience while living this life on earth that is free from fear and free from anxiety if you Think to yourself that you have a relationship in your life right now outside of your relationship with the God that is the creator of the universe that is free from fear and anxiety. You are fooling yourself because you may still remain with your dead beat dad. The one in which God had Jesus do the work to adopt us from. So, with all of that, with the rights that you now know that you have because you've been adopted into God's family, 
Because you know that your relationship with him is free from fear and free from anxiety, give him praise for this unbreakable covenant. Give him praise as he continues to mature us from an immature child to a spiritually mature adult in Christ. And just like the Bill of Rights guarantees civil liberties and rights, we, as it says, as heirs who have been adopted by God, have been guaranteed our rights too, which is stability, hope, love, attention, affection, and spiritual health, which we could call spiritual maturity, which is this big $25 word called sanctification, the process God takes us through to make us holy, which is evidenced by the Holy Spirit, as it says, Spirit of His Son, that He placed, as it says, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we have arrived at our second and final point. After our salvation, the grace of God matures us in the gospel. It isn't until after our salvation that God's grace matures us in the gospel. His grace is a gift. We can't earn our salvation. He has given us the faith necessary for us to have eternal life by His side. Once again, our second, our first point this morning stated that before our salvation, we immaturely confused Jesus as Messiah with ourselves. We were playing Messiah. And our main idea from these seven verses this morning was this. Jesus has redeemed our worldly immaturity for gospel maturity. You want to be mature in the gospel? Do you know where you start? by knowing only Jesus could satisfy God. And it's our faith in Him that makes our eternal salvation possible. Lord, continue to use us as a body of believers to share your good news with others, especially those who do not know you yet. Lord, I pray that we can be focused on the good news of salvation through Jesus, and we can be used by you to share that truth with others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.